0: Frank, I have heard of this big technology called images and containers and mm. Docker <laughs> and swarms and pods and Kubernetes and clusters and, and um, whales and, hmm. and seals. Yeah, I have no idea about any. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) All my friends work in this area. They're all
1: kind of web developers, and I think all web developers turned into container developers or Docker developers or something like that. And I've really been resisting learning the system, I think, mostly because I haven't found any um, practical uses for it in my work. But I recently took the plunge and learned myself some Docker. And I feel like I'm finally confident enough to talk about it a tiny bit. And so I thought we could a great episode where you and I completely butcher our understanding of Docker and
0: frustrate everyone who does actually know how it works. I think good? Be, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good because I think yesterday I saw this awesome demo. We had a CNE all hands and I didn't understand anything. And Kendra was attempting to explain to me kind of developer fatigue of learning all this stuff. But Mm. she was also trying to explain why it was so cool. But she also had a good point. She said, you know, most people that are interested in containers and images and all this registry stuff are kind of doing it in their spare time. Like they may not have a business use case, but they're interested in it. So what I'm really interested in is like, what made you want to even learn about any of this? Was it because everyone yeah. was talking about it? Was it because you had a business use case? Why?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, well, part of it is I just want to keep up, right? <laughs> Every If everyone is learning a subject, then I feel a little dumb if I don't know that subject. So just from a personal standpoint, I like to keep up. Uh, but from an actual professional standpoint, we talked about doing web development a few episodes ago and talked about how I actually do have quite a few websites that are mostly just promotional, but, you know, I'm running a bunch of websites. And to be honest, I'm managing them in basically a 1990s style, you know, I'm R syncing everything up, it's actually literally Apache servers and all that. And I thought, well, maybe I should up my game so that each server was a Docker file, and I could easily deploy it uh, to different environments and that kind of stuff. So for me, it's more just about organization. I like the idea of a Docker file for organization, and we can talk about that
0: yeah because what i'm doing today let's say for soundbite like someone was like oh you're there's a 50502 error or something i'm like okay (laughs) Okay. cool i I log in i log into my azure app and i say restart server and that is essentially a vm that's running my entire website and the vm's dedicated to me so that's like the model that i'm used to is like deploying files Mm -hmm. to a server and then endpoints magically hit the start thing right and yeah I'm inside of Azure app service and knows there. I'm not managing the infrastructure though. I'm not, I'm just sure. saying like, yeah. go to this windows machine. That's what I'm saying. Go to windows. And it just knows yeah. how to do stuff. So why would, a why would, what are the benefits before we even talk about what the different pieces are for like, going down this route? Like I want to not even talk mm-hmm. about the tech, just like the benefits of like, this is why James should really maybe yeah. image Docker containerize his website. Yeah. Uh first
1: I'll <laughs> just agree with you first though that uh um I-, I use Azure too and I just use their web app thing where somehow they manage all the server backend stuff. I barely understand how it works. I don't know if it's a VM, I don't know if it's a container, I don't know what's going on. But I kinda like that I don't know what's going on. Okay, but <laughs> if you're outside of that world. Containers, uh, for me are all about managing dependencies. So I've been doing some work with Pythons, where I've been wanting to train neural networks. Most neural networks are written in Python, it's just something you have to deal with. And oddly enough, they all have different dependencies. Like Each one of these neural networks has like a whole different set of versions that are incompatible with these versions and all Mm. that stuff. So I started using Dockerfiles literally just to manage Python dependencies, (laughs) and uh, just to create these environments that I knew could work. And some of my resistance to it was, um, I always used virtual machines for this. Like, what's the big deal? You set up a virtual machine, you get it into the uh, condition you want, and you're all set to go. Python even has this thing called virtual environments. You do all that. But the neat thing about containers is it's platform and it's <laughs> language agnostic. It's really project agnostic. It doesn't care what you're doing in this container. Uh, so I started for dependencies, but I have a few other reasons too. But have you ever... I mean, now now in the .NET world, dependencies really aren't that bad. But have you ever had to deal with, like, server dependencies?
0: Well, I guess this this kind of makes some sense, right? I, I'm thinking of just .NET. If I just think of Windows.NET, and if I'm developing an application where I need to put side-by-side versions of just .NET, like, four x right like putting 4.5 side like if if i have an application that is built for 4.5 and depends on 4.5 and then i need Mm -hmm. another app that depends on 4.6 you can't really run those side by side right you need to always install the latest so that is actually a dependency for.net desktop developers um now you could run three and four side by side but i am i could definitely see the issues coming to like node.js and python and like all these other ones or doing legacy work too Like I haven't run into because ser- I don't run a lot of servers but mm-hmm. I could definitely imagine these situations even on my local dev machine like I'm thinking oh how would I even pull down this thing and try to deploy yeah. to it because I'm going to mess up my entire machine like that exactly. becomes a problem
1: yeah and uh, the dev machine is a, a great place for this in the past again uh, we had something called
0: Vagrant did you ever use this? I have heard of it, and I think you may have talked a little bit about it, but I'm not really sure what it does or what it's about. It was just a way. <laughs> it was just a way to standardize dev environments, so to make sure everyone
1: on the team. I'm sure there were other uses for it too, but how I was exposed to it was, we just want to make sure that every developer on the team is working with the same tool versions and all that stuff. And for that, we basically make every one run inside a virtual machine. And to simplify all that, we use this tool called Vagrant. So virtual machines are one thing, Vagrant's just a high level way to manage those virtual machines. Well, in fact, containers kind of give you the same thing. You can create a development environment inside a container. So especially if you're doing something like .NET Core, where that's, you know, designed to run in just a tiny little Linux or Windows environment, you know, just a tiny little area and do all your stuff there. That's actually one of my first use cases. I mentioned Python, but immediately I started doing .NET stuff because. I'm not good at understanding the new .NET Core version numbers. I really don't get it. And what I found was I would always have different versions on my Mac than like the Linux machines that I was deploying them to. And I know you're supposed to like .NET bundle and it does all this complicated stuff, but I would rather just ship the code over there and execute the code on the server. I really don't understand that .NET deploy stuff. Um, so I wanted a container that would have all the correct, all the same versions of .NET core on them. And I was able to do that.
0: God. Yeah, that makes that makes sense because if you are developing a .NET Core 1.0 app... And I need to deploy that. And you're like, well, I don't want to touch that, but I need to deploy a 2.0. You literally need to spin up a whole new server, correct? Because, I mean, there's right. dependencies yeah. there. And that and thats mm-hmm. really seems to be the problem that you want to get away with with containers and 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 images is that, that oh, I need to run multiple things. Not necessarily side by side, because I guess they would live on different servers, but then you're not really – is it that you're deploying stuff to a, multiple things to the same server uh- then? No, in fact, in, in in the dev case I'm talking about, I'm all running it on
1: my dev machine. The thing Ah. is, uh, my dev environment is kind of this isolated sandbox world, this container. I mean, it, it's, you can think of it as a virtual machine. It's a whole separate place, but I'm using this modern Docker technology to achieve that. And so it's just faster too. Uh, VMs, as you know, take forever to spin up,
0: but like a Docker is just like on fast easy that makes sense i demoed i demo so that's the thing is i've demoed a lot of this and i understand (laughs) when i demo stuff people think like i demo a lot of stuff i understand everything or what i'm doing or i've built this entire app right and sometimes i have so everything i do is not fake necessarily but i remember trying to demo images and docker and azure registry container and i just sat down with donovan donovan brown who does a lot of devops and he does a lot of this stuff and i said is he a container person oh yeah totally yeah Okay. And he's all about it. So I said, just explain the terminology at a high level. Cause I kind of know these words and then yeah. he kind of laid it out. So I understood that concept. So when I was adding Docker support, when I was, pu- you know, creating an image or pushing an uh, image to, it's kind of like I'm creating a, this is a, my terminology. So if we jump into the, mm-hmm. what are you doing? I was, I was creating an ASP.net core website and I was at, adding a Docker file. Okay. Yeah. Now, correct me if i'm wrong that docker file is essentially a definition of the dependencies and the machine or operating system that i want to run on so i'm saying i yep. want to be on a linux machine with net core 2.0 these are the specs and these are the requirements that i need correct yep, yep. you yep. nailed it yep it's definitely a definition file
1: i just want to add one uh extra point it's also, more like a script file. You can actually get it to do lots of clever things like um, you can build a container, do something in it, toss that container out, build another container, and that's the one that the uh, config file actually outputs. So, yes, it is just a config file, but it's ridiculously powerful. Config
0: file. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I think I've seen people that where they're doing all sorts of stuff like when that thing is happening and injecting stuff and yeah. doing bananas—it's crazy. I mean, you you see why this becomes a world unto
1: itself. Like once you realize the power of these things, like um, uh, containers that create containers—you know, just worlds, <laughs> space and time open up to
0: you. <laughs> so, so that 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 Docker definition is what I need to create an image. Correct, I'm creating an yeah. image.
1: Yeah, and most images um, start with a a starter image. So the first thing you'll decide is, am I making a Linux container or a Windows container? Mm -hmm. So that's basically which kernel am I going to use? Am I going to use the Windows kernel or the Linux kernel? Pretty much everyone these days uses linux kernels but i'm i know these windows ones exist i just haven't played with them uh, myself very much because in general i'm just running these on a mac anyway so when you run uh on the mac you actually are running a tiny virtual machine to run these uh docker files but it takes care of all that nastiness
0: behind the scenes gotcha and i think on windows i've done it where you are inside a visual studio and when my demo was essentially i'd have docker installed on my machine we should describe mm-hmm. what Docker is, because it's actually a company. Like yeah. Docker is a company. Yeah, it's but actually
1: a product. It's a product <laughs> Weird, huh? and a In company? In this world?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, they
1: have multiple products, I guess. Uh, so I there's a community edition of Docker that you can get, and it runs on pretty much every operating system, and pretty much all of those can run Linux containers. Now, on Windows, it can also run uh, Windows containers. And on Mac, I don't think there's such a thing as a... I'm probably wrong, but like a Darwin container, I don't know if Mm -hmm. those exist. But either way, yeah, you just install Docker, and then you have this space and time opened up to you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and that's what I did. I basically went in and I said, Visual Studio, I would like for this to be a Linux image, thing. Yep. Um, yep. <laughs> and then I would like for you to create that and then actually debug. And my the coolest part of this is that, yeah, when you hit debug, it actually is running your app inside. It's like running the image and then debugging inside of the image. And I think it uses <laughs> Hyper-V for that. That's a complicated scenario. Um, the Hyper-V,
1: again, is just to make the Linux part work because you you want to run a Linux kernel. Um, that's I, I think you're doing a pretty advanced scenario there. So to start with, containers by default are pretty locked down. They're in basically a sandbox, their own universe. That's why I keep comparing them to a virtual machine. They um, basically don't have access to the same network as you. They don't share the file system with you. Uh, as the host machine I'm referring to. Mm. So to do that, though, there's lots of little configuration settings. So you can open up debug ports and things like that for specifically dev mode stuff. So I'd be curious actually to see your Docker file and see how you pulled that off, because I haven't yet myself achieved debugging a .NET Core app in a container. So I'd
0: love to see that. Yeah, I think it's doable, at least inside of I think it's so that's the thing is now I'm kind of confusing the terminology between the images and containers. I found this great Stack Overflow image that I just linked to you on our Zencast. It's in our show notes. That's this overview, view essentially. Of. <laughs> okay, so I, yeah. I have a Docker file and I build an image. Mm-hmm. And that runs inside of my local Docker container, which has a container. That, that image becomes
1: a container the image is used to create a container. And Docker runs multiple containers. So one host machine can be running a million containers, probably not, but let's say a million containers. Mm -hmm. And each of those can come from a different image, or they can all come from the same image. It's really configurable. And we should mention, again, reinforce that your Docker file starts with someone else's image. So if I was going to do like a .NET Core app, I would search the Docker registry for a base image that probably already included .NET, or already included Python for my neural network stuff, you know, you can just go find these
0: puppies. Yeah, I think that I have have a link to here just getting started with Windows containers. And those are all on the Docker registry, which is another term. Mm -hmm. And a registry is a place where people put images, images. And those, those for Docker are public images. But there could be Private images, which is what or register. There could be a private registry for like your internal company, which is what Azure and others offer. Is a way of Oh, is that right? Yeah, so it's it's called the Azure Container Registry, which is you can man it's kinda like GitHub, right? There's public and private. Yeah. So there's public and private well, images, right? That's exactly how it's gonna explain
1: the Docker registry. It's definitely public private. I think for your cause it is a company trying to make money, I think you're only allowed like so many private images before you have to start paying, or it might even be zero. I don't even know how their payment plan goes. I'm pretty sure you can upload open source ones for free. But again, I don't know. I don't plan on using the public registry just because why contribute to the world? No, I don't know. <laughs> I just, there's. I don't see any reason why people would want my containers. So I really see that as the big players, the people who create platforms, they should have containers for their platforms, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so... Mm-hmm. I got this. So then the Docker file kind of configures. Like you start with an image, and then in the Docker file, like you install Git, you put your code in it, you set configuration, environment variables, all that kind of stuff. And then you Docker build, and that takes a Docker file and produces an image. From that image, you can run a container anywhere on your machine, someone else's machine, you know, take over the world.
0: And I've and I've heard here and and I need you to basically clarify this that Inside of a Docker image that runs in a container, if it works on your machine, it is guaranteed to work absolutely anywhere. (laughs) Is that a true statement?
1: Yes. Uh, Pretty much if you take the default settings where you're running in a sandbox, yes. Now, if you start doing clever things like opening up access to hardware, for example, I want to do neural network training. And so I want these dockers to be able to access the GPU. Now, by default, because it's in a sandbox, it doesn't have low-level access to the GPU. So I put in a little configuration that gives it access to the GPU. But by definition now, I've really just tied that thing to that hardware. It would technically run on any computer that also had that GPU, but I've really just tied it to that environment. So I'd say, if you don't start getting clever and breaking out of the sandbox, yes, 100%, you're fine. You're in a sandbox. But the moment you start you know, chiseling away at the hole, you know, creating holes in it, then you've broken it kind of. Oh,
0: all right. I have more well, questions but for like like.net for.net. Yeah. It'll work great. All right. I got more questions, but let's take a quick break here, Frank, and thank our amazing sponsor this week. You know, them, you love them. It's our good friends over at sync fusion, uh, sync fusion. They may not be able to help you with your <laughs> Docker containers and images, but they will help you deliver awesome to all of your applications and to your dashboards. I love Syncfusion. I've been using Syncfusion for over a decade, actually. They've been around for about 16 years. Uh, When I worked at Canon, I used them for all my charts and graphs and dashboards, and I continue to use them in my mobile apps. What I love about Syncfusion is they offer uh, multiple platforms. They have this developer platform and then data platform. and The developer platform is all of your charts, graphs, grids, all this complex logic, including Excel and PDF and Word and PowerPoint like renderers and editors all cross-platform from web to mobile to desktop. So if you're doing ASP.NET development, like we're talking about here, use Syncfusion. If you're using desktop development for like UWP or WinForms or WPF, Syncfusion. Mobile, whether you're doing JavaScript or Xamarin, Xamarin Forms, beautiful charts and graphs and controls. And they have all of these great like file formats. Like I'm talking about Excel and PDF. People ask me, I need to display a PDF thing in my application, Syncfusion. I need to do Word, Syncfusion. I need Excel, Syncfusion. They have everything. What I also love is that they have the ability to actually go beyond that with their dashboard platform. And I don't know, Frank, if you've ever seen these, you know, you log into a website like Google Analytics and you see like charts and graphs and like all of this information, right? It's like beautiful. I have a small secret. I love dashboards. I love they're dashboards. kind of my favorite thing in software. I I love charts. Yeah. <laughs> and what Syncfusion has is they have like this this essentially a way of an end-to-end solution for creating and managing and sharing these interactive dashboards. So you can automatically connect to an Excel spreadsheet, CSV, SQL Server, Spark, Hive, Oracle, JSON, Azure Tables, RESTful Web Service, and it'll automatically generate all of these great dashboards, and you can add all these rich widgets in, and then you can share those anywhere. So you're like, oh, I'm not building an app, but I need to visualize my data. Boom, SyncVusion has you covered. And you're probably saying, Frank, how much does all of this crazy stuff cost? Is probably a bajillion dollars. I guessed a million last time. I'm going to guess for five hundred thousand. It's still not five hundred thousand dollars. They still have a free, ah, a free community edition, Frank. That is right. You can get all of this great stuff for free if you fall into to the actual community edition part of it of the developer platform or. You can upgrade. So if you're making over X amount of money on their website, you can actually go and get a single pack for 2,000 bucks. You get everything inside the developer platform. Or if you're doing that data platform, you can also pick that, which also starts at $2,000. And based on how many developers or users you want, that all scales as well. But even for that, being able to just simply, boom, put it in, 24-hour support, anything I want. Their docs are amazing. I simply love it. So Frank, where do you go to learn more? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> where should i go you should go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict that's all you need to do when you learn and you can sign up for it you can send an email and thanking them that you know the sponsor and the show but just head over there um, to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn about all the great stuff that we just talked about thanks syncfusion thanks syncfusion i have
1: to admit i lied i actually knew it was free <laughs> in, at the in the beginning uh-huh. it's such an awesome offer i had to go along
0: <laughs> all right frank let me break this down what is a swarm pod kubernetes? Oh god. What what is that? What is do I need to care about that at this point of me learning like cuz all these things no. are everywhere. <laughs> like why? Yeah, this is the
1: part in the conversation with my friends where my eyes would glaze over. Cause like I kind of got Docker and I could kind of imagine some scenarios for it. And then they went off into this world that you just mentioned pods and swarms and Kubernetes and Docker versus Google and who do you love more and go language and all this stuff. So, uh, let me, I'll, I'll give you my basic understanding, but I- I'm pretty weak here. Um, Kubernetes is just a nice way to start deploying Docker containers to different servers, uh, different machines and all that stuff, I think they have the highest level is called a cluster. And so with Kubernetes, you can create a cluster, which is basically a billion little uh, Docker containers running on x number of machines, distributed throughout the world in x number y number of ways whatever you know it's just a way of deploying all these docker files now i'm sure i just pissed off a lot of people but (laughs) (laughs) um, they have their own config file they have this notion called pods pods um, share what they share a network namespace and they share some other namespace so that they can a pid namespace so they can actually work together Mm. within a pod pods otherwise are pretty much sandboxed from each other so that's it. I think it's um, and actually, I'm pretty excited by it because docker is not it's this command line tool, and you're like, docker run, dash i t dash a dash something, dash, whatever, and it gets very old, very fast. and so I think Kubernetes is just a higher level thing on top of it just to simplify all that garbage of actually deploying these puppies. that
0: makes sense. So I can think of it like, hey, I need to. It's almost like the NuGet packaging of like packing up multiple NuGets all at once and then deploying them easily out to whatever my container is. I'm trying to put it to my 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 library development mind, which is like I'm gonna push this up to NuGet, but that could go to my get, right? Like if you if you put that connection of like you have the new spec. Oh, I just did it. A new spec is like my Docker <laughs> file. My um, okay. um my NuGet package is like my image. And then NuGet or MyGet are like my registry where I put them into containers. No? Is that right? Nailed it. Yes. Yes, yes. And
1: then Kubernetes is how you distribute all that to actually do their job. Yeah. Because what you've talked about so far is just stored away non-running images. But to get them actually running, you need something either do it yourself or run kubernetes but yep
0: you're doing it and then yes if i have multiple of those that's where you're saying kubernetes comes in because i'm i literally yeah. i'm not usually just deploying one service it's probably when i could imagine a world where oh, no. it's one service that depends on another service and all these things oh yeah. deploy yeah i was i was making fun of my friends because every time i asked
1: them to explain Docker to me i'm like let's just build a hello world website <laughs> and immediately we had like five containers running. Oh my goodness! like i'm kidding you not yeah because you have to have a load balancer how can you have a website without a load balancer then you have to have like the web server and obviously the database should run in its own container so we're up to three containers and then i think we threw like on a dev container and then like a debug container or something like that so yeah
0: hello world took five containers minimum (laughs) now of course i'm lying (laughs) uh, what if i just didn't put it in a container Like, so what you built there with the hello world, could that just be achieved the other way? But it's just because you're trying to learn it. This is, I think Docker was invented to solve a
1: problem. And that is running a proper data center where you actually have, where you're responsible for at least a couple nines of uptime. So you want some redundancy and all that kind of stuff, especially that's where Kubernetes comes in. It has its own concept of like load and how to distribute uh, load and create new instances and all that. So I think, yes, obviously, Hello World can be written in one line of code. Um, but this is practice for how would you actually run a data center or just get more organized yourself. Like, again, I don't like the fact that I just have these random servers out there running that I just app get installed a bunch of random software to, and I have no idea how to recreate that environment. Mm. I would rather have a Docker file where I can with confidence, recreate that environment. So I make fun of the five Docker files to create a website, but I totally get what they're trying to solve with that. They're, Yeah, you want your database server to be separate from your web server. You really do. I mean, just for dev, you want to do that so you can swap between the two. And so I think it's good practices, which are unfortunately cumbersome and annoying to implement. That makes, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, This this makes sense. And I'm also thinking of a world where, as of today... You almost have to think of, let's say I did want to, like your statement of scale is the first thing, but also spreading your services out over multiple providers. So today, if you want to deploy to Mm -hmm. uh, AWS and Azure, you're going to have to learn some different infrastructure there. Whereas if you put it into an image, you may not have to worry so much. You may have to learn about the deployment to those services, but you could spin up and spin down. And I'm also thinking of the world where I remember people like, oh, just spin up a server, spin up a server, spin up a server, whatever, right? You're really not then spinning up a server. Mm -hmm. You're just And here's a new image and throw an image at it, throw an image at it, throw an image at it. That could be then put in a pod, I guess you put the, you put the same image in a pod and then they can scale. You can put multiple different images in a pod. A pod could have, you know, 10 web servers and five
1: database servers. So two different images with lots of different instances of each. It's very configurable with all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you you nailed it. It, It's the server environment is where this takes place. And that's why I, I didn't really understand what to do on my client Dev machine, since I'm a mobile developer, yeah. like, how does this work with Visual Studio? Do I get IntelliSense? <laughs> you know, like basic questions. I'm a really bad programmer without IntelliSense, it turns out. So, you know, I, I need these things and I st- think I still have a long way to go to find out where this applies to us as developers, as mobile developers. But if I was a web developer, oh my God, I would be breathing this stuff because yeah it does solve so many problems
0: yeah i mean i always thought of it like we are already creating our little image it's called an ipa or an apk now it doesn't cre- it, does- uh-huh. it doesn't have a definition of the opera what's in the operating system but it kind of does it, right. it defines the minimum mm. operating system on android it can define the maximum operating system um <laughs> it goes into a container so, called the app store that then gets installed <laughs> i don't know that's how I yeah it. actually I want to give a shout out um, to
1: this YouTube video. Hopefully it'll be in our show notes. It was from a Jessie Frazell and she works, I think she works at Microsoft now, but she used to work at Docker. And it was the first explanation of Docker that finally made it all click in my head. And she's very fast paced, very smart. You really got to pay attention to keep up with her. But if you can, then I think you kind of learn this stuff inside and out. And so I just wanted to give that as my first shout out uh this video really helped me out It was actually a keynote that she gave just recently and none of this stuff
0: made sense honestly
1: (laughs) until i watched this video
0: (laughs) that makes sense i think that um i think i need to go watch that i think it's always my i need to like step back for a minute make sure i actually you know read some documentation because i can get the the parts down but then if someone explains something really well to you and you're just like oh that clicks like and then i can apply Mm it to my my day-to-day and I think hopefully we did that for some people that are maybe thinking of oh you know what today I am actually deploying a service over here and I'm deploying a service over here and one's in .NET but maybe one's in Java and I think that's another instance too sometimes you have multiple services that are in different languages and you don't really want to mux up that VM I think is another good reason for it. Thank you. Thanks. I almost forgot to bring that
1: up. And that was to conclude my story is I got these Python containers working. I got these .NET containers working. What did I obviously do? I got them talking to each other because I really don't want to write Python code, but I, you know, I'm stuck with it for these neural networks. So I got my .NET code to just talk to those over you know a simple API.
0: Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Hmm. I don't know. Is there anything else that I need to learn? Yeah. <laughs> um... I think the biggest confusion for me
1: in the beginning with containers was like, I felt like this was already a solved problem. I'd been using virtual machines my whole life. I knew about, you know, other, I knew about Vagrant and all that stuff. And so it seemed like a strange solution to an already solved problem. But I think what I've really learned is, it's really a world of possibilities for developers, too, of just getting all your libraries in order, of being able to uh, create that perfect dev environment that never fails, that you can ship off to a friend if you know you need help from them to like work on your app or something, you just ship that off to them. So what I think I'm finally starting to see all the developer benefits to doing this kind of weird sandboxing.
0: <laughs> Got it. Got it. San- think of it as service sandboxing in a way. Mm. yeah yeah for sure interesting but in production
1: (laughs) we're yeah somehow people trust it i don't know so have you deployed something (laughs) have you
0: deployed uh... something then Is it you have something live?
1: Uh, nothing, nothing super public, but yeah, I do have a few things live running. Actually, just, um, it's really, cause, you know, you can get like $5 VMs so easily these days. And it's so much fun to get a $5 VM and then to put 10 different containers (laughs) on it. Like you're really stressing that poor machine out, but it can handle it. And then when you grow up, you can uh, create your Kubernetes cluster and start putting, getting multiple machines into the works.
0: I like that. So I like how it scales up very easily. Mm. I think I need to do some learning and maybe create some back end services or just see like, if it makes any sense for how I'm doing, I'm actually interested to see how I could segment a website out to be like, Hey, the front end part of it is actually over here on this part. And then the service yeah. that is part of it, like my RSS feed. Like I always want that to be on something separate that I could scale up or it's not going to uh, impact the website. Right. That's probably something I should sure, look at. Cool. Yeah
1: yep yep interesting and then yeah so the idea there is that you can uh, spread it out so put uh, the RSS onto multiple machines Mm. ideally so one on the east coast one on the west coast one in Europe and one in Asia and then you're good I like that (laughs) I like that yeah. All right,
0: so I need I need to go do some learning and have this YouTube video to watch. Um, anything else you want to... Well, if you want to keep up, man, you know, you got to keep
1: up with the kids. And the kids are using the Dockers. So I gotta... just... <laughs> I, I'm like, what's after Dockers? Can I just get ahead on the next one? I really don't feel like learning these. <laughs> you know, I, I
0: just got up to speed on the multi-targeting. Is that not good enough for everybody? I can't...
1: No, man. 2018,
0: the year of learning. All right. Well, let's, let's actually talk about that. We, we did right. have a little feedback, Frank um we had a question Uh i wanted a little follow-up a little Uh follow-up before we get out of here um last week we talked heavily about multi-targeting if you remember yeah do you remember that i do do. and uh that seems to be the new rage all the cool kids are multi-targeting and i as i did two things this isn't the question but i actually updated my plugin for xamarin template to just be a (gasps) multi-targeted thing so that's kind of cool
1: Cool, cool. I saw that tweet. Yeah, I, I meant to talk to you about that. That's super cool. So is it just literally one project now? Is there a new That's template?
0: That's it. That's all it is. One template. Boom. And nice. uh, what cool. I did, and the reason that you would want to use it is because I add all the junk. So even if you were just creating not uh-huh. a plugin, and you were creating yeah. a library, and you're like, I don't want to worry about mul- all the multi-targeting shenanigans, I just scaffold it all out for you. So I probably should have called it something else. But Are you talking
1: about like... Android stuff? Like, what kind of stuff is in there? I'm just Yeah, curious. so I create a
0: folder for iOS, Android, Windows 10, Mac OS, tvOS, watchOS, put the files in ah. there, do the share. Folders, yeah. got it. I do that stuff for you, and then also I add all the stuff into the CS Proj and all the new spec stuff that you probably don't want to look up documentation for, so it's all in there. <laughs> kind of nice. Um, but the question we had was not necessarily around that, but I wanted to... I'll put a, a link in the show notes about that, because it's fun to use. Seth... Um, Valtero uh, tweeted at us and he said, I just listened to episode 85. And I'm paraphrasing here. They said it's the best episode mm-hmm. of Merge Conflict that he's ever listened to. Um, oh, that's Uh-oh. not what he said at all. What about this no. one? <laughs> this one is the best. Oh, dang. Uh, I'm just
1: I'm ju- <laughs> <laughs> you got me excited. Uh,
0: he said he was confused about one thing. We added a little confusion. Mm. He said that we're mm. implying we're implying things that I can have a multi target uh. project. For applications, AKA, have a single project that would generate an IPA and an okay. APK. That's an IPA and an okay. APK. This is my fault. This is my fault. I, I caused this confusion. Mm-hmm.
1: So, what I'm talking about is MS Build, the tool, can 100% handle that. It can create all the .NET stuff. Um, so, I could have one project file, and MS Build would be smart enough to generate Android code and iOS code for that. App, not library, app. The problem is, um, I think like the iOS tools aren't a hundred, hundred million percent MS build based. And so I think, uh, you're still going to need, um, a Mac that has access to Xcode and all that stuff to do the final build pass that actually creates the IPA file. So it could generate like all the, um, net stuff, but it, it might fail at creating the IPA itself and Android. Same story, basically. That's not to say, though, the technology is there. It's just a matter of um, all those tools being compatible with the new MS build. And so the confusion is I a hundred percent see that in our future. And I think we should be pushing the tools developers to make that happen. But, um, I don't, it's not going to work yeah. today. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's the thing is we just got multi targeting and to create multiple live or create a library for multiple platforms and to create a new for us automatically. Yeah. And the tooling for that isn't even perfect yet. Um, Right. But the one thing that I did point out is inside of my packages, like I've added Android resources, I've done a bunch of other stuff. So it's technically possible to do some of these things, but it doesn't mean like the final tooling and the final packaging may actually exist. In the ideal yeah. world, you want it to just kind of be done for you. So if, you, if this was possible today, you would have saw a bunch of people tweeting about it and doing all this stuff. But I think ios like you're saying is probably going to have more issues than the other platforms in general because that final build step unlike android which is all self-contained on a single box so yeah oh right okay running in a
1: container running in a container
0: correct (laughs) no
1: yeah in a world
0: where everything (laughs) runs in a container Uh,
1: but if that does sound like something you want then make sure you let xamarin know let microsoft know say i want this feature for Mm -hmm. apps too yeah, you know they they won't implement it unless you tell
0: them yeah. you want it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, if if, if uh, multi targeting, if no one said that they wanted it ever, apps. it would have never happened. Now you just want multi targeting <laughs> right. for apps. I think that'd be cool in general. It, it <laughs> kind of depends on it. I think it makes a lot of sense for like Xamarin Forms, like because there's not much platform specific code anyways, and you're just like blah, right? Where yeah. you're doing. But the truth is, I think platform projects get so much
1: crud in them. Like the iTunes artwork, the infinite number of extensions you have to write for a modern iOS app these days. There's just so much crud. I mean, just junk that you have to put in that file. I would hate to think what one project file with five platforms (laughs) worth of junk in it is going to look like. That's a good point. You know, so maybe maybe it's okay to keep it a little organized into multiple files, but I still like the idea for something like Xamarin.
0: Yeah. I mean, what you could do today, you you could do this, you can use multi-targeting for app creation, right? And you could have all almost all of your files, like 100% of your files in that multi-targeted project. And then just basically right right click, package up my application, technically. But (laughs) don't try this at home yet. It it, it won't. Yeah, I have no idea how the tools will react to that.
1: So good luck. But libraries are there. (laughs) But it's in the spec, it's there. Like it's definitely
0: possible. Just got to get everyone up to speed. So I want to make sure we target it on that. And I think it's going to do it for this week's merge conflict. Frank, what do you think? Crushed it? Extra long episode? Yeah. I like the I long will say ones. it looks extra long but it's actually not because we did a 10 minute exclusive sneak peek behind the scenes oh, for our patrons.
1: You are so sneaky James Montemagno.
0: Yeah, so we're in Zencaster and it looks like it's fifty minutes but it is not. Um we're down to the 40 minute mark. But yes, I know. Sneaky sneaky James. Now something cool I You think I'd be a professional. Well, I wanted to do this because the patron page has an RSS feed and our patrons have access to the episodes ahead of time, but it's kind of like this internal preview on our website. And I said, well, we should utilize that RSS feed and we're going to do every week <laughs> kind of behind the scenes or questions that they've asked in the Discord kind of. We talk anyway. So why not just hit the record button? So if you want access to that, you want to learn and hear more from us, go to uh, mergeconflict.fm. There's a support button or go to pay patreon.com slash merge conflict fm and you can find it all there just go to the website you can contact us you can find our twitter (laughs) you can subscribe please subscribe please rate do all those cool things um and i think that's it frank i think that's it yes we we acted like web developers again we
1: really need to talk about something mobile next week (laughs) thanks everyone for the
0: yeah f F sharp (laughs) next week maybe i don't know we'll see okay Ooh, scary all right people (laughs) I'm excited for that. <laughs> I bet you are. All right. That's it. We're out of here. Until next time, this has been another episode of Merch Conflict. I am James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.